Welcome to On Writing's Top 5 Tips to Launch Your Instantly Publishable Novel. Tip 1. Create a fictional world. Tip 2. Put some thought into your preferred genre. Tip number 3. Envision your target audience as well. Tip number 4. Develop an expansive, captivating setting. Use these top 4 tips. Like, comment, and subscribe, and we will see you next time on IGN's On Writing. I've been Chad. (laughs) 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 But yes, this is On Writing, a podcast about writing communities and the terrible advice they give. Today, we're not talking about writing communities. We're talking about the internet as a whole and what comes up when you search, how do I write novel good? I'm John, he, him. I'm Chad, he, him. And I'm MJ, she, her. And if uh, if we're talking about the internet as a whole, what is that but the world's most galactic level bad community? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Speaking of which, it'll be a few weeks old at this by the time the listeners hear it. Uh, NASA and the the UN Space Committee are doing that thing again where they're going to send out the location of Earth to the galaxy. Uh, we want to, as a podcast, we want to exercise our veto on that, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, Stop contacting. Uh, like, let me the universe on red, please. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually googling right now top four tips to, uh, like, change Earth's locations yeah. in the. Uh, <laughs> How like, to set it, up a forwarding address for your planet, right? <laughs> well, have you also considered the possibility that, like, these aliens know where we are and they're skeeved out because, like, we keep sending them like gold plates with unsolicited dick pics on them and shit like hey these are the beetles and this is what i look like naked oh fuck off earth jesus god yeah no we are we are absolutely creepy but like uh aside from writing the concept is this right like we have no way of determining whether civilizations be friendly or not right we have no way of determining how many civilizations will be friendly or not and we have no way of determining if our message will be received as friendly or not with all that information, what do we gain by sending a message, right? Like, <clears throat> I, I can think of two horrifying gradients, right? And I'm talking like ends of the spectrum. On one end, we get like these kind of froggish, clown-headed, four-legged things that like make us set up Burger Kings. Mm-hmm. And on the other side... We have a bird with depression that wants to kill us all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Voiced uh, by Alan Rickman, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is from Final Fantasy XIV, right? Medium, mm. the, the sad bird. Yeah, but who's to say that Alan Rickman isn't there anyway? Like, it, the universe is big, Sean. Oh, shit, you're right. It might We might be entirely populated by Alan Rickmans who hate us for losing our Alan Rickman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They're like, we entrusted you with one, Mr. Earth. With one of our treasured brood. And what did you do with him? You made him live in Hogwarts for his entire life. No one remembers that. They think he's the gun from Christmas movies. At mm-hmm. the very least, hopefully, before they exterminate us, they give us that awful, awful Alan Rickman, German, yippee Kaye. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> exquisite. But yes, everyone should go out and read Lucy Shin's Three Body Problem, and then you'll be like, no, no, no. And you'll then you'll be Googling not how to write good, but scary things like how I get enough fertilizer blow up the satellite, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> True fact. Um 
preemptively don't cooperate with salvage schemes. Do not cooperate with salvage schemes. <laughs> All right. So when you Google, how do I write book? Uh, an infinite number of resources will come up. And this is because uh, the internet does not cater to need, but to demand, right? Uh, the, none of these articles get a cut if you publish a book, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truest thing about the system. So the ones that are even by authors, you should be a little bit suspect of because they exist just to kind of get clicks from people like you who want to write a novel, but have no way of writing a novel, right? They're typing in things like, how do I write a novel? Which is not a question that anyone on earth should ask, right? Unless you're like an AI being trained to write novels, <laughs> then you should ask, how do I love father, right? Like, <laughs> um, Dave, how do I write novel, Dave? Dave, that's not an M-dash, Dave. <laughs> you're telling again dave you're telling you're supposed to be showing you that, that was an info dump dave dave why did you info dump it in why dave comma goes inside the room <laughs> there's also a lot of okay now we're done with this bit this bit's dead now we killed it <laughs> there's also right oh, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, there's also a, a fun collection of um, the first thing that I, I found. I'll, I'll kick us off with a listicle from Power Poetry, and this oh, is <laughs> this is relevant because this listicle is how to find an online writing community. Oh um, no! <laughs> oh. For for poets specifically, and they they list themselves first, of course, naturally. Yeah, uh, we need like that. Good job. We need that like 1940s submarine alarm that auga noise like at the first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they might have some nice resources. I'm not going to say that like there's probably something worth reading on here, but the the two others that they include, I wanted to point out specifically is Poetry Foundation and Poets.org, and these are um, oh, American. Christ. Yeah, and these are American English centered poetry organizations because they're written in English. So they're going to like have serious problems with poetry in translation. And they're going to have serious problems with the missions of famous poets who are not English poets. And they're just, and they're going to give you, for instance, like Poetry Foundation will give you Hafez translated by Emerson, our boy Emerson back in the day. Yeah. And he didn't translate this because he didn't speak any like language that would be helpful. For translating and didn't speak Arabic, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or Farsi or anything even remotely close to it. But he was reinterpreting another older translation here um, that he like something from even before his time that had been translated. A larger collection that was circulating among poets that inspired the like Persian article, which this is in case like one. And this doesn't mean like like the the new living versions of like the Bible that convert them into like plain text or whatever. A lot of this includes Emerson making it like more Arab-y because he didn't find it exotic enough. So like, oh, I'm boy. not kidding. Right? It's like, oh, fuck, man. No, right? Like, where it's like, surely this is one of them oriental poems. It should sound oriental, right? Yeah, kind of like, kind of like to go back a couple episodes, like when H.P. Lovecraft decided to go on like this weird binge to identify himself as Abdul Al-Razid <laughs> and was just all like because that's how the Arabs call themselves and it's like that's the least Arab name anybody has ever come up with <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And beyond that, these are not necessarily community sites. There are obviously like the Poetry Foundation has the famous poetry magazine that everybody wants to get published and it pays really well. They're super famous. Um, I one of my claim to fame was they list events. One of the when my book came out, they listed the launch event for my book. And I'm like, this is the most famous my name is ever going to be in relation to poetry because it's on the Poetry Foundation website. But there's no there's no real community here. Like you have to go to a reading like that suggests a launch event. You have to like sometimes they're switching over because of the pandemic to online events. You can go to like a Zoom party or something like that at some point in time. But again, these are institutions like that have not just issues with race, but issues with class. They like highlight a certain kind of poetry or other kinds of poetry. And if you try to find like more contemporary or even old like poetry, Middle Eastern poetry, like Far Eastern and um, like South Asian and like all, all of this, you're going to have some problems. Hell, they got very problems with Spanish, German and French poetry, right? Like, <laughs> and, and this highlights again, like I think a lot of English language poets need to be reading in other languages, not even if you and you need to find good translators who are not doing the, you know, Emersonian or the uh, not ESL, but Ezra Pound's, you know, translations of translations like you need to find like somebody reputable who actually speaks the language that wants to bring you Hafez in the most real way or Rumi in the most accurate form. Like Peter yeah. Avery is one you should look to if you actually want a translator. Yeah, I got to tell you, if you're trying to go cross-cultural, you need to steer fucking clear of T.S. Eliot. Yeah. <laughs> like, let, let me give you guys a little story here was the fact that I grew up with uh, being introduced to Cats as my first musical. Uh-huh. And I still love it. I, I have no shame. Like, I have shame that we allowed that bastard to make the 2019 version. Uh-huh. But, like, no shame in loving the musical. It's a great musical. Uh, some things started to emerge when I transitioned from like six to seven <laughs> and the lyrics of one of my favorite songs was talking about the Asian cats attacking the pirate cat that had been mauling them. And one of the lyrics was the chinks. They swarmed aboard. Jesus. And I went, hmm, huh. Went a little hard on that one. Elliot. Uh, <laughs> Elliot. Yeah. And then I went, okay, okay. You know what? Maybe it was like, okay. In like fucking the Mesozoic era when he wrote this, whatever. Right. Maybe we can just change up that lyric. But then, like, you start finding some more colorful language throughout that thing, like hidden ones that you wouldn't think. There's this one song called The Awful Battle of the Peaks and the Pollicles, which is about these dogs that bark and whine at each other until a cat shows up and chases them all off. But the peak is a Pekingese, and the narrator comes out and he goes, uh, now a peak is no British dog but a heathen Chinese. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> and oh. I went, wait, maybe this was just normal for the time until I went and looked up T.S. Eliot. Oh, oh, this man did not like Asian people. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> another man who also did some uh, quote unquote translations of things. But uh, <laughs> another thing about the Poetry Foundation is that they also don't care about this uh, English poetry, weirdly enough. Uh, because uh, a characteristic of modern poetry is, and this is MJ's house, so I'm just kind of like going in, house-sitting, refilling the water bowls, etc. Page poetry, right? Making your poem function and fit in a page, knowing that it's going to be printed and read in certain ways, right? And there's new kinds of page poetry, right? Making sure that your poem is formatted such that it can be read on like Kindle devices or web devices. Uh, Poetry Foundation does not care about that. They will control C, control V, publish that shit into plain text <laughs> like fuck your alignment fuck your capitalization fuck your, fuck your justification right like everything is just ending up where it's supposed to be they even kill indents right like 
So if you have the middle <laughs> of a line indented, right, word indent, different word, they're like, uh, I think that's a space actually, right? Like. Right. I think that's great because, like, the the poor poet already has so little room to work with to, like, stand out and be expressive. And there's like, "Eh, (laughs) like, yeah, but I think it would be a lot easier for me to control C, control V than actually, like, try and fix the formatting for web. Do you know HTML? (laughs) I don't fucking know HTML, right? This was like a poem you read like lately, right? This was, it was, oh no, it was, uh, we are not responsible, right? We are not responsible, got completely owned in the transcription. Line break. They decided to take a poem that appears in the book. If you get the book, Sleeping with the Dictionary by Harriet Mullen, you will see that we are not responsible is a paragraph that is, that is justified. It goes across the entire page. It's not left or right aligned. It goes all the way margin to margin, except for like the top and the bottom where like the title and such are that you have the, the, the marginalia. But like it's beautiful and it's meant to be that way. It's meant to be like a never ending stream of things that happen. It's part of the form of the poem that's based on an airport announcement. But the Poetry Foundation, in their wisdom, decided to add line breaks. Why? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you could I I've linked it in the, the chat. Like, Chad, can you describe what this poem like looks like? Uh let me go dig it up. It's just linked in the uh the Zencaster. Oh, oh, in the Zencaster. A little okay. peek behind yeah, the uh, the old curtain. Yeah, a little. We use Zencaster. Yeah, this uh, this definitely looks like they're aware that um, the margin is here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to be like a cube, like a literal cube of text, right? And this has been lineated into a completely different thing, right? Like, and this is consistent with other poems in the book, and they format other poems from the same book that look the same in the book. There are this this paragraph, you know, this prose poetry that fill the, you know, and they they do left aligned version of it. They don't do justified text, but they do keep the like title track um, or the title poem, I should say sleeping with the dictionary as a paragraph but they lineate we are not responsible and it's very inconsistent let alone like horrible to do to this one poem but they just they're not even consistent about it they're not even, it's like they're not even looking at the same book between I, I really like that title too sleeping with the dictionary it's nice and succinct and wholesome no like foo foo eroticism no. in that. none <laughs> of that right like i feel uh poetry has gotten too erotic lately i think like some good just an English pedagogy, right? Like just learning about words and honing your craft. Yeah, it, enough of this entrande shit. No, okay, not even a single entrande, <laughs> right? Like not one. <laughs> There's uh, not even an embedded word in there that is, you know, anatomy at all. No. There's no, not at all. Mm-mm. Words within words do not exist. That poem, it's, it's actually beautiful. Fake, yeah, fake and wrong. <laughs> I this this also shows that like they have the same understanding that I did of like justifying because I shit you not this is a true anecdote from my life where where uh I was supposed to put in something uh on a website that I had written in a certain alignment and they're like why didn't you justify this line and I looked down not understand what he was saying looked up looked down at it and looked up and went well I thought it stood for itself <laughs> 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 yeah. I didn't realize I was defending a fucking thesis here. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's a, I include a citation. Is that not enough justification? Like, whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, you know, it used to be the words could travel from fucking Spain to Syria basked only in the protection of I am a citizen of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have to justify shit. H.P. Lovecraft hated them all the way. <laughs> uh, but yes. President Bartlett loved them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, for our listeners who are confused, justification is 
where the, the lines end on the margin, right? So if you're fully justified, you are a block effect, right? Uh, think of like uh, newspaper columns, for instance, are classically justified, right? To make those very regular, very readable rows, right? Uh, if you are like pretty much any like visual reader I know of, you'll you like select text while reading to make like jagged ends. When it's fully justified, there's no jagged end, just a straight line all the way down. Yeah, or if you're down here in the bayou, uh, if you don't justify it, Mama Justify comes out and she, uh, you know, curses you with chicken feet in your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but most importantly, above all, like they and, and poets.org is a little better. They have like job board. If you look for jobs. If you have like degrees or experience, like book formatting is one of them. And like I was, I did what John was just talking about back in the day when I worked in my college newspaper. I justified the columns in the newspaper. I was the the layout editor of my college newspaper. Uh, made sure all those columns were justified. And if you had a space of Helvetica, it would freak the fuck out at you because it hated Helvetica. So don't get me started on fucking Helvetica. Uh, but regardless, these are not um, substitutes for workshop situations. That's something that I think is really important when you're talking about like online writing communities. You need people to talk to you about your work. Dialogue with people. You need to show your work that's progress that's like the biggest thing about the workshop setting online or not is that you need to give somebody something that sucks you don't need to show them your prettiest work like you can at some point to show what you're capable of but like it's best to workshop things that you need help with and you need to be able to say like i either don't know what's wrong with this or i have these problems and can, can you help me with these problems yeah, you know what nobody at usc thought it was real cool when uh Steven Spielberg came back and was all like, you know, I never got my degree. Here's my submission. It's a little thing I call Schindler's List. And everybody's like, fucking try hard. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I hope you guys give it a good grade. <laughs> uh, and, and you do need peers and you need different levels of people critiquing your stuff at different times in your writing career. But like this is, I think they have, you know, courses and lesson plans and, and they have some digital groups and some of these might have forums that like work for you, but several of these entries in this like seven, you know, bulleted seven, seven pointed list, seven pointed list. That's what I'm going with now instead of like seven numbered numeral, whatever. Um, there are seven sites and of, of these sites, a lot of them don't offer like people to connect with one another. And I think that that's too, and also people to connect with where to get published, the best place that they don't list is actually poets and writers as far as poetry websites go for listing places to submit to places that are accepting submissions and stuff. There are far, there are way, way better other sites that are not poetry communities that would not belong on this list that are only about submissions, but in terms of like a website that tries to do something that Poetry Foundation, Poets.org does, Poets and Writers does give you the better list of where to find literary magazines or other websites like so yeah this is this is what i'm saying like if you're just an on and i feel bad because like i know these things as i went to school i like went terribly terribly in student loan debt please god forgive student loan debt biden please god um <laughs> uh, but and if you don't if you didn't do this and make this horrible mistake in your life you're not going to know that going to this list and you're not going to have a concept of what an online writing do for you what you need from an online writing community and just perpetuates these like bad Reddits, bad discords, bad ideas about what a writing community should be. Yeah, and our official position is you should not get an MFA in poetry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, following that up about workshops, in okay, let me just click through really quick. Uh, yep, yep, and number third, yep. Okay, so in the top three largest writing communities on 
Discord. All three of them have something called workshops, none of which are workshops. <laughs> uh, like a workshop is where you take, you go in, you are given an assignment to write a particular thing, right? Sometimes you will bring work you, you have made outside the workshop to there, but you are expected to have work or produce work for this instance, right? And this is everything's in scale, scope, right? It has a defined scope, which is important. It's not like we will workshop your novel because that's not a fucking thing that humans can do, right? Like it's not possible. Unless you're, you know, going horribly, horribly in student loan debt and you're taking specifically into the novel writing workshop, which you will workshop everybody's novel and you will have most of your novel workshop as well, which is don't do this. Well, it's also a dickish thing to go somewhere and be like, okay, so like I really want to uh, be in the hallowed halls of Dragon Con and hear the loving skitters of a scared Frank Miller. Can you guys write me a best fiction novel? <laughs> or, you know, a best-selling fiction novel, please? It's a workshop. It's what you guys do. Come on. Yeah. Uh, and then, other than, like, hear the skitter of Frank Miller, uh, <laughs> workshops will take the text that everyone has produced, and one at a time, they will take them, and everyone will get their shit in on it, okay? Like, because the best workshops, everyone gets a hand on the ball. If you're doing this in an MFA program, you're doing it for grade. If you don't get your hand on the ball, you lose participation points. And, like, at this point in your academic career, you still believe GPA, like, super matters. Because uh, <laughs> they ask for it if you're applying to academic jobs. Unfortunately, they want to see the transcript. Yeah, but you're just as likely to get the the academic job if you don't submit grades. Namely, well, no. If you're Joyce Carol Oates, you'll just get the academic job, and anybody with the good grades won't. Doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. if you if you're already a rich and famous, you're just going to get the job, and everyone else is just in the margin of like, nope. I, uh, I just want to point out that I'm going to start a GoFundMe for my own workshop called the Windowless Workshop. <laughs> and I must stress, Windowless, this is more of a workshop royale. You get your <laughs> hand on the ball, you say what you think of that person, and I've got some clubs, I've got some shillelays, I've got some uh, truncheons. You let that person know what you think of his criticism. May the best writer win. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that would still be better than the workshops that are advertised in writing servers. Because a workshop oh, that's advertised in a writing server and the ones that are accessible by these groups online that are, say, how to find writing community, when you Google into Google, right, uh, they have workshops that are just classes that will have someone lecture you. Now, what is a lecture? It's something that's giving you instruction, often good instruction, but not instruction that will progress your skill as a writer, right? That well, thing I did the at the opening, right, like just delivering the booming audio – that is exactly as productive as going to one of these workshops, right? Well, they, they also play these little tricks like Coursera does. Like, spoiler, just stay the fuck away from Coursera to improve as a writer, right? Like, just stay the fuck away. Um, you're going to go there, and they're going to tell you some things that you could find out just by Googling. And if you don't know how to find it by Googling, you're not interested enough in writing to know what to Google. So back off and sort that shit out. <laughs> but... <laughs> But they lay like these traps out to make it feel like people are being engaged in workshopping stuff by basically being like, okay, so for this class, you're going to have to write a screenplay. You're going to start with the log line. Everybody write a log line. Now, you don't get to move on to the next course until you appraise four other people's log lines. And then people just come in and they just write like, I just got out of the bath and this is the best log line I ever saw. Next. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> and they do that, and they just do that through every single class. Like, okay, now you have to write your inciting event. Uh, you cannot move on to the next class until you comment on four other people's inciting events. And there is, there's no moderation. They're not making sure you're actually ready. You're just like, wow, my event feels so incited right now. Next. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and this is why academia costs a lot of money. It's one reason, right? And that's that they have to have an actual human being look at all these log lines and make sure no one said, like, I just took a spectacular shit. This is a good <laughs> log line, right? <laughs> but yes, that if if you did have someone moderating it, that sounds like it would be a pretty good workshop, right? Like, because that is a yeah, pretty good way to go. Set up those automated traps, right? Mm-hmm. To make people to make people just punch out a comment on somebody's box so they can access the next part of the of the lesson plan. Yeah. Well, and the key here is that you also need to learn how to critique work, and this is taught in a lot of creative writing courses like the MFA world and usually undergrad creative writing courses more so than graduate creative writing courses because there are a million different approaches to how to talk to people about their writing. One of my favorites, and you'll see us kind of do this freeform, is that my, my favorite, one of my favorite MFA specific workshops was that you had to look at everybody's work and you had to give them a list of uh, media that like music, movies, television, other stories, other novels, that their work reminded you of aesthetically or like in some way that might inspire them to go further. And this is how I learned about Wong Kar Wai. Someone was like, this is working class people bemoaning like their long lost love. And this is very much in the Wong Kar Wai like impressionist, like the colors, like the way I was writing. And, and it made me fall in love with Wong Kar Wai's movies. And this isn't a wonderful experiment, but this is only one approach. And this is not going to work for things that need a lot of revision this is again like this was a high level mfa workshop you're coming in with a lot of experience some people are already published like okay yeah you need need help beyond that but that's still fun to do (laughs) if you go into one of these and that's a requirement and you just copy their story and put it into iwl.me and tell them that they write like agatha christie when you go to bed i'm gonna be under your bed at night yeah We're, okay. we're all going to be there like a judge hold the next time you go to the restaurant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll never die. Uh, that's just a fact. Okay, you stay away from IWL.me and do not use that as a cheat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it's probably stealing your shit, by the way. Just as yeah, an FYI. It absolutely is, right? Like, <laughs> I, again, people have so much trust in these online functions, right? That's like, oh, it's the robot doing it. It's like, yeah, it's Jeff who wrote an algorithm and bought hosting for like twenty dollars in like twenty sixteen, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. and like, and like he is now living the a thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters yeah, principle. He's literally waiting for one of you guys to crap out Hamlet, and then he's like, hell yeah, boom, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and by the way, you wrote like Shakespeare. Here's your fucking plaque. Put it on your MySpace. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but that is good advice, by the way. Don't use that app, but like try to ape other people's writing and see if you can identify elements of other people's writing in yours, right? Like, Yeah, well, and it's also useful, too, by the way, in a way that you're just totally not expecting, which is you'll read it and you'll say, this person reminds me of like a mixture between like Stephen King and Orson Scott Card. And then you'll get the next person and go, this guy kind of reminds me of Stephen King mixed with like John Grisham. And then you'll move on to the next one. This one reminds me of Stephen King. Oh, I don't know that many authors. Yeah. <laughs> and, now you'll know, and now you'll know to get up and go read some more goddamn books. Yeah, that aren't Stephen King. Right. Uh, and this is something that's really valuable about reading stuff in translation, right? Because there'll be stuff that's just like beyond the scope of what you've read, right? And well, poetry specifically, like we get cliches in English that are very, very different than the cliches in 
Chinese poetry. Like when I first started reading Chinese poetry, I needed like the most footnotes in the whole fucking world I could find because they reference other older poems and you have to like go all the way back to the beginning. And even those are referencing something older and older. And they're they're like the the eyebrows being drawn on the woman by the man symbolizing a happy relationship and probably sexually like satisfactory and all these things. Like you don't know this in English poetry. You have to like and it, it broadens your ideas of what you can use in terms of symbolism and imagery. You just if you Man. get stuck on English, you get trapped in the cliches. Yeah. What the fuck? We have to go through six thousand pages of footnotes to crack their poetry, and one dude in a shed cracked our Rothkos. <laughs> Smoking, right? Like you think the fucking, oh, what the hell is this? Like the the fact that the fucking menthol should have let some people know. It's like, it smells awful minty for a Rothko, right? <laughs> uh yeah but, that guy's a genius yeah that guy was that guy deserves all the uh, workshops right he dude, should, he's oh. my favorite he's my favorite man because he was the only one that went anyway i am off to fucking china now <laughs> later, <laughs> boys. Well, the other guy's like i have always a plan to return home to my native italy uh do you want to buy this harmonica it was bob dylan's right? that was, actually, it was the greatest thing i've ever seen a man so fucking addicted to grift that he's all like don't do it don't let them walk out with it trying to sell them the harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He knows what he's about, right? Like, but yeah, the, the advice of these communities is, um, and these non-communities, right? These just posts, uh, most of it's fundamentally good advice, right? Like oh, yeah. in that top level list I gave, uh, like those were all good ideas, right? Like the first one was seek out sources of inspiration, right? Read a lot. Uh, don't yeah, wait. but that's like so vague, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Put some thought into your genre. Read stuff in your genre, especially commercial stuff from the last few years. Perfect advice, right? Envision your target audience. Someone on the uh, one of these servers is going off on this right now that it's like, my audience is so dumb. I'm I'm hoping I have a smarter audience. Like, well, who who is your audience, right? Like, and why? <laughs> why? <laughs> well. Now, here's a here's a here's a funny thing. Be like very aware of what your target audience is because you have some say over that. Mm -hmm. But like my favorite band from the 90s uh, just collapsed into obscurity because they didn't bother explaining to their producer who they were targeting. And like uh, their songs sometimes use biblical imagery. And the first song is like a rock story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the dude was all like the producer's all like. Well, they didn't give me any notes, so we're just going to put this in Christian rock Hell where they yeah. die an obscure fucking death, right? <sighs> so, like, like you better be aware and you better be clear to the people that be. Otherwise, the publisher is going to be all like, um, well, self-help it is for FireQuest 3 Search for the Dragon Shard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's assuming you get a publisher, right? Because if they say, like, this is an epic 12-book series, and it's like, pass, and it's like, well, actually, this is a compelling standalone novel in a, like, <laughs> Brandon Sanderson inspired world. Everyone's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Same conversation. He wheels around in his chair and goes, I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so these, these kinds of advice are advice that we've given for, right? But these like generic points on advice aren't going to make your novel great, right? These are just where you should be starting from. Right. Yeah, no, this is like very much the equivalent of like guys all like, I need to lose enough pounds to fit into one airline seat. And they're like, choose your meals healthily. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. well, that doesn't help him at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he may not have an idea, but just, just guessing of what healthy is. And we have to yeah. take this yeah. step back. And this is right. the same like, There was another article recently about like people in uh, 
my like sub generation people who are like in their late 20s right now eating more sugar in childhood than any other group of humans throughout all of history because uh, <laughs> we are the age that uh started packaging video game demos and full video games in breakfast <laughs> cereals <laughs> as well Chex as Chex Quest was a legend. Yeah, Chex Quest. I mentioned that to MJ that like there no on God, like the frosted Chex came with a copy of Dune. Doom, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. Captain Crunch had a whole thing. And then they also introduced like chocolate Captain Crunch and not just the oops all crunch berries, but then like <laughs> chocolate uh Lucky Charms and mm-hmm. oops all marshmallows lucky charms, right? And that shit's part of a fucking uh complete breakfast. If you eat like a pound of dry kale and seventeen grapefruit <laughs> with it, right? <laughs> so yes, uh, these are the examples of the people telling you eat a complete breakfast, and then they show the twenty five grapefruits, right? Like yeah. the, that word is doing so much work. Right? <laughs> All right, I think we covered a big chunk of what I got and MJ got. Chad, what what secrets have you unearthed from the depths? Um. Well, it's baffling. Uh, the first thing that I did was, uh, you all may remember from several years ago that like Masterclass took the internet by storm, mostly because they put like just shy of Raid Shadow Legends budget into the marketing. Mm-hmm. They still uh, do. And it was because, like uh, about a month and a half ago, more like two months of the, uh, <clears throat> the time of the airing of this episode, uh, there was a huge ad push about watching Hillary and Bill Clinton separate Masterclasses on leadership and Barack Obama's masterclass on leadership. Oh boy! (laughs) We are just. I mean, refrain from comment on that motherfucker. (laughs) Oh no! I'm going to comment on one. I'm really glad that it's on leadership and not on like uh, Hillary and Bill give you the masterclass on how to make pop culture relevant commercials. Acting and writing by Bill and Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember Pokemon Go 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 to the polls, oh, right? Jesus. But I, but I had completely forgotten about that awkward, tone deaf, bizarre fucking uh, uh, Forrest Gump commercial that they did mm-hmm. that just like went on and had no purposes. Hillary was just like. You know what they say about chocolates? And Bill's just shoving his mouth with chocolates. Well, what do you say about chocolates? And she's all like, well, chocolates vote or something. <laughs> right? And, like, that's just the energy of, like, this five-and-a-half-minute commercial. And then they, in some baffling fucking move, they went on later and were like, you know what's hot right now? Everybody's talking about the Sopranos ending. Let's recreate the Sopranos ending. And I'm like, Hillary, you're running for office. Do you want to associate yourself with Tony fucking Soprano? <laughs> And his fucking much hated ending. Yeah. Oh god. I mean, she is familiar with like the dress and the what's on the dress, and that is very Bada Bing Club in the end. <laughs> Are you saying that Monica Lewinsky brought the gabagool? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I strangely non-political rant about Bill and Hillary Clinton yeah. and the Gabagool <laughs> in the Oval Office. But with that aside, so like Masterclass did like that huge push and they're coming back, but they were like, they were everywhere. You know, you you went to like Twitch.tv and they're like Masterclass with Alan Moore, right? Or you'd go to YouTube and you're trying to like, you're like typing very urgently how to- uh, How to CPR le- on grandma. Yeah, or how to put out fire on little brother, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all like, but 
first, a word from our sponsors, Masterclass with Neil Gaiman, right? And then it kind of went away for a while. But now they're like, hang on a second. We paid a lot of money for these people and we got we got a good chunk out of it. But we kind of want we kind of want some more. So now they're like kind of they're teasing us. They're releasing some of the videos from behind the not Disney vault, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, slipping a little bit of band off the shoulder going, this is what you could get if you paid us 50 bucks for a masterclass. So uh, being a guy that likes not paying 50 bucks, I watched uh, Neil Gaiman's new thing that has just been pushed all over my YouTube thing. And uh, I will say of all the things I've ever seen Neil Gaiman, that was the most Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um, it was the Neil Gaimanist. Was uh, uh, was Helena Bottom Carter making out with someone in the background? <laughs> No, because it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a uh, Tim Burton production. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm getting a flip reversed. No, but like Neil, like they all hang out in the same club and swap each other's wives with Johnny Depp. I guarantee it. <laughs> no, uh, like that that shit's carved in the gospel. If like if I'm taken to account by Saint Peter and he tells me like, what do you want to see? And I'd be like, uh, you know that shit. Give him the eyebrow, and he's like, "Didn't actually happen." And I'm like, "Nope, false, leaving. You're not real, yeah. fake." <laughs> <laughs> Turn three sixty degrees and walk away. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this, this is the part where we'll carry down and be like, "Get, get your manager down here. I want to <laughs> talk to God." Okay, uh, but like, uh, I'll, I'll start with the fact that I've said some aggressive things about the old game, and then anybody that knows me knows that. They weren't the most aggressive things that I'll say to people, mm-hmm. but I've said some pretty aggressive things about Neil Gaiman. I want to preface this with, I really like the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he writes very well. Uh, I think he's uh, from everything that I've seen, understanding that everything is through the lens of a publicist and a camera. Mm-hmm. Right. But understanding that he seems like a good, sincere guy. Um, but life works differently for him. Right. Like he goes through this thing where he's where he goes, if you want to be a writer, you have to be honest about yourself. And I'm like, okay, like a little vague, but I can dig it. He goes, when I went around and I was trying to sell my short stories that I had first written, they all kept coming back and were rejected. I had to face some hard truths. I'm like, okay, good. Finally, Neil is all like, look, you get in the trenches, you pour your heart into something. Somebody goes sucks. And that's a part of the craft. Then he goes, it was in that moment I decided that I was going to be a freelance journalist, and that was how I was going to make my income, and I did. It's like, okay, well, the rest of us can't fucking do that, Neil. <laughs> right? I, I cannot just, like, a Sims 4 character pull out my phone and select a job, right, yeah. and then like, go <laughs> off screen for eight in-game hours, you know, and accrue my rent. Come home, right? and for some- your wife is pregnant with a vampire baby or whatever, and then <laughs> your son has been locked in the uh, toilet cage of death. Uh, everyone should go out and play the sims right now by the way (laughs) Uh, the the best part of the sims is that you can totally game the system where the most of art is the most efficient way to make money by by befriending a vampire Mm -hmm. walking him into a room uh and then boarding him up in the room with easels Mm -hmm. and he will have nothing to do but sit there as your vampire slave painting portraits for you that you just sell out for eternity. Yeah. And it has to be a vampire or else he'll starve to death. Yeah, exactly. No, this is this is all about undead capital labor. Yeah. No, it's a, I'm not kidding when I say toilet cage. Uh, when bad sons happen, you need to toilet cage them and like to do like cyborg eugenics on a level never seen before in any game ever, right? Like, yeah, it's like this this in Crusader Kings 2. Oh yeah. 
And I've tried what what dear old Neil has suggested when I was in my creative writing career and I was doing a um, a cooperative education or a internship that was paid or what, however you refer to those things that um I was trying to work a job and it was not going very well. And I'm like, well, I have some connections. I'll try to do some journalism. And again, I've been working in my college newspaper and I tried to do like, you know, above the college newspaper grade, the actual deal where you go and like do the journalism. And it's really fucking hard, like to get the breaks, to get the stories, to get in public. I got like one major publication in three or four months and it paid like 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have my historically phenomenally bad luck where I made a living off uh, freelance journalism for a long time when I was uh, between like 18 and 22. And it was great. It was all just funny, like independent shit, the one of my articles and then and then aggressively marketing them so that I got money off of it. Um, but that's part of why I'm like, Neil, it doesn't work like that for the rest of us humans. I don't know what fucking like packed with a magic lion you made after pulling a giant fucking needle out of his paw or whatever. <laughs> but for the rest of us, right? Like there are certain steps we have to go. It's like, well, you know, there I was flipping burgers, trying to pay for my three children. And I said, this isn't helping my writing. And I quit. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then but, you starved to death, right? <laughs> there's some ellipses here. There's some ellipses here, right? Like either, either you pulled the needle out of a magic lion or, or uh, there are some very notorious ellipses here, kind of like my favorite uh, it, writing advice. Ellipses are terrible uh, because <clears throat> let me quote the Bible for you accurately. Judas went and hanged himself, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Christ turned to his followers and said, go and do likewise. Right? <laughs> this is like... <laughs> <laughs> Right. This is a completely accurate Bible quote. Right. And so, like, that's the only other thing that I can think is that, Neil, you left out a few details in the ellipses of your story. Here, mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that I, and like the stuff he said in it was helpful. I'm worried that Brandon Sanderson's just raw dump on YouTube out of sheer contempt of like the writing industry itself. Uh, may have maybe more useful than the Neil Gaiman masterclass. I'm going to dive in and see the rest of those to find out. <laughs> but like when Brandon Sanderson sits there and he's all like, yeah, so get ready for uh, to, to sit down and like uh, haggle over words with a dude who doesn't give a fuck that there's a no smoking sign in his office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, right. Like that type of on the ground approach. I, I'm not sure if Neil Gaiman is going to do that or if he's going to do a lot of. So when I wrote Coraline, this is what I was thinking. And I was thinking Coraline should have an inciting event. Oh, wow. Thanks, Neil. Uh, <laughs> and then that led me on a further rabbit hole, right? Where I'm like, okay, you know what? I am deathly curious what other, what happens if we just take writers being motivational speakers uh, and look through them and see how much of this has stunted your guys' careers. Mm -hmm. um, some of the, I, I will give the big preface that I understand and I appreciate that a lot of these are quotes that are taken out of like broader interviews or essays or something. And context is extremely important, right? Uh, I see the slap bite come up in, in writing communities, but also in like other communities where somebody goes, well, that quote was taken out of context. And like, oh, of course you would say it was taken out of context. Well, no shit. Context is really important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I understand that some of these quotes may be taken out of context, but it's also very important that you do not take these quotes as they're out of context and go, ah, 
Michael Moorcock said it, so it must be true. Second preface before we go into this, fuck Michael Moorcock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe he's a very nice guy. I don't know. Everything he said makes me think he's kind of a wiener. Uh, Here's what Michael Moorcock, the avowed anarchist, says. Ignore all proffered rules and create create your own. Suitable for what you want to say. Shut up, Michael. (laughs) <laughs> uh, right like that's that's the type of shit that like okay that's the same thing as the ceo walking into the burger king going just not enough pulling up by your bootstraps around here yeah for right like, <laughs> I, I guarantee you if i go into any michael moorcock book i'm gonna find parentheses i'm gonna find commas i'm gonna find periods i'm gonna find indents i'm gonna have paragraphs that are of alike and similar thoughts that are broken into the next thoughts in their own paragraphs okay fuck you michael <laughs> Well, a lot of uh, these about specifically Moorcock, he's had a lot of them where it's like, oh, everyone said I couldn't do X, right? And that's uh, everyone is what's doing all the work there, right? Because it's usually like <laughs> one editor or one publisher who sent them a rejection. And then it's like, oh, that meant the world was against me, right? Like when in reality, it's like, no, man, you were just throwing your fucking shingle out and in the middle of the market stall and nobody answered for a while right like yeah. there's a conspiracy against you and like the the fucking ceo saying like oh everyone's got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or else they wouldn't be working here that's why it's okay to pay them two dollars an hour right like <laughs> so what if they miss their uh like sixth period class they should be grateful these teams right like, uh it's the same deal, right? Where you're attributing like your success and failures to you triumphing over all the forces arrayed against you, as opposed to just like your times come round, man. Right? <laughs> it's time for Elric. It's Elric time for the next like year and a half. Yeah, and like I, I get really suspicious when I see somebody that's like too aggressive about ignore rules because I'll say ignore rules sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but. But it's always like qualified, right? Uh, I, I'm sure Sean has seen in like all these writing committees. Some people go, "Can I do X?" And my default response is always, "Well, it depends." Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And, and people get angry and they roll their eyes. They're like, "That's always your answer." I'm like, "Yeah, but it fucking depends, mm-hmm. right?" Like, okay, go buy some fucking diapers because it depends. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's also the thing, right? Our episode a few back on. Like the CIA, it was like, here's a bunch of rules that are rules that are good rules, but also here's to break them, right? But the thing about that is we're not telling you to break those rules. We're not telling you like, oh, find every rule and break them. Imagine your own. We're saying like these rules exist for a reason and it's to make incredibly readable fucking fiction in consistent style, right? Like, And when you're breaking them, you should be able to follow them in equal capacity. And like me to my editor once, you should be able to look at them and go, I can justify this text. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, but it, it tells me right away, uh, Neil Gaiman did end up saying something that I thought was like extremely important. And if there's anything you take from Neil Gaiman's masterclass, it should be when he said that he uh, started going to workshops, he realized that he was reading things completely differently than all the other writers there. And that made him the worst writer of the bunch at the time. And he goes, uh, because if you have me read a book and then you ask my opinions on it or what I thought about, it, I would say, I liked that book or that was an enjoyable book. And he looks around and they're like, well, so I think that like the first half is structured in this way. So there's an evocative feeling in the second half or somebody else is all like, well, I think that she's painting 
or she's having her eyebrows painted on because of this. And he's like, oh my God, there's shit that there's a different way to read this. <laughs> oh my God. Right. And like, that's really important to understand that like, you don't like just read and go the sum total of that was an experience that I don't regret having. Right? <laughs> if, that, if you're still at that stage, you're not reading like a writer and you have to, you have to be able to do that. Now I can tell you right away that Michael Moorcock doesn't read like a writer. Uh, because when I when I looked at that, I was like, Moorcock, what did you say? What are you telling these poor young fucking people? Um, I looked over and uh, doing some research, he decided to say, you know, I met Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. They were nice, but their books suck. Whoa. Oh, Whoa, OK. I feel like them especially fighting words against C.S. Lewis. because That man could fucking <laughs> put some sentences together, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm paraphrasing a little to to quote. Wikipedia itself, Moorcock is dismissive of J.R.R. Tolkien's works. He met both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in his teens and claimed to have liked them personally, even though he does not admire them on artistic grounds. Moorcock criticized works such as Lord of the Rings for their Merry England point of view, equating Tolkien's novel to Winnie the Pooh in his essay, Epic Pooh. <laughs> Incredible. Epic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I, I'm loving the fucking brevity here. First, we got sleeping with the dictionary and epic poo, just straight to the point. Yep. No fucking, no other ways to read them. Subtext is fake, okay? There's no such thing as subtext. Yep. Uh, yes, I believe it was the great Garth Marenghi who said, I know writers who use subtext. They're all cowards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, like, if you can't, you don't have to like Lord of the Rings. And there's, there's no like list of reasons uh, that are like verboten, right? Like you didn't like it because there's not enough women in it. That's invalid. If you don't like it for that reason, that's fine. You didn't like it for that reason. Uh, but you do have to go, wow, this is a successful artistic representation, right? A- and work of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, what you say about like Twilight, what we all say about like Twilight and stuff, right? Like is you need to look at these things and be like, this is compelling, right? Like people re- read this and then went out and drew fan fa- fan art of it, like immediately, yeah. right? They've yeah. named their children Renesme and stuff, right? Like <laughs> you need to understand why people are doing that, right? You don't need to fucking like write the next Twilight, but you have to understand that just because you don't like it, that you might see that like Bella says hmm a lot and be really upset with that. You have to understand that everyone else is not mad at the Bella saying and you being like really oh my god she says hmm a lot that's that's crazy look at all these moments where she's not acting and someone else is acting like well guess what a self-insert isn't actually supposed to act a lot right like that fucking stephanie meyer's genius is making a fucking like tabula rasa audience insert who doesn't do stuff right because the first instinct is to have the audience insert do everything but audiences don't want to do stuff they want to read and enjoy and have people cherish and love them right like like the fucking most straight up and understandable thing that you could possibly write and yet everyone reads that and is like ha ha i challenge this because it is bad writing because bella is passive and it's like no dog that makes it enjoyable right (laughs) or they'll have like these other weird takes that like they always piss me off when like i'm sitting there with a bunch of other people my own age and they're like you know i really didn't care for twilight you're a 31 year old construction worker it wasn't written for you yeah no, and it, it's we go back to this a lot, but it's the you're actually trying to teach people curiosity. Like at some level, if you want to be a writer, if you decide to choose this path, you should want to know what's under the hood. Why did we do this with Bella? Why is she an insert? This is actually kind of coming from a tradition of even high quote unquote literature of like Arthuriana, where Arthur is often a cipher. Arthur doesn't 
do a whole lot in many of the romances. He's just kind of like the dude that's there and he's kind of boring and stuff happens around him with cooler characters. Yeah, well, I mean, hell, this shit gets uh, a, a little less hallowed, but this shit features in a lot of, like, well, Sean and I talked about this book specifically in the Barry Lyndon novel, which is well nigh fucking unreadable, <laughs> because because so much of it is devoted to just stopping the goddamn narrative to slurp aristocratic dick, right, <laughs> where, where it's all like, Barry... And then that's all you're going to hear about Barry for the next three hours, because the rest is all like who lived in like the northern part of Ireland, which was at that time so nobly ran by the family who lives presently in Wessex. Now, this family inherited very well, thanks to the entrepreneurial. I don't fucking care. Have Barry shoot somebody, please. Mm-hmm. Right. And but it's like the same type of thing of, of attempting to like engorge the reader in one capacity or another. And it turned out when like the aristocracy was paying for these books to be written, you got a lot of stuff slurping aristocratic dick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, also, here's another thing. A lot of great novels just aren't read. Um, <laughs> so, for instance, Moby Dick is not fundamentally a book about a whale. Right. Like <laughs> the whale is the antagonist. Right. Like I don't mean in like a subtext set, like the, the book is about things. I mean, like literally the whale is not on most of the pages. Right. Like <laughs> There's stuff about whales. There are many, many pages of whale facts. Yes. But it's a book about being on a ship with other humans. Right. Yeah. Like, and very gay, gay ship activities with, with spermacy. Spermetti? Spermacetti. Spermacetti. Yes. yes. Uh, whale spermacetti. Yes. And this is the thing that everyone misses, where it's like, oh, the premise of a book about a whale is like a bad one, but he made it great. It's like, well, no, the premise of a book about the human drama that occurs when trapped on a ship in a space of danger and emotional intensity, that's like the fundamental story that anyone has ever written, right? Like, it's a perfect premise, right? Taking Le Miserable, right? Like, what is the the fucking, um, I believe it is the November Revolution that uh, takes place in Le Miserable. The November Revolution, all the words about the November Revolution take up a lot less space in Le Miserable than literally <laughs> describing the Battle of Waterloo, okay? And you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, I don't remember uh, Hugh Jackman singing about the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> and that's because books are not fucking musicals. They're different things. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember uh, when I showed you those screenshots of the least inquisitive reader and the most sure of himself reader I've ever seen from this old guild that I was in? Um, where, <laughs> where I, I, uh, through, through my favorite scam artist of all time, the gentleman who, uh, sold the Eiffel Tower twice, mm-hmm. um, I was quoting Les Miserables, mm-hmm. right? Uh, laws were made by man and man is fallible. Uh, somebody responds to that and I go, uh, they told me that like I was tryharding or something. I go, it's a quote from Le Miserable. They're like, ah, Le Miserable. Yeah, I didn't care for it. <laughs> and it's like, what? And they're like, yeah, no, it wasn't great. And I'm like, are you talking about the musical or the novel? And he goes, I mean, both, really. I'm uh, like, Wait. that guarantees uh, that someone has not read the novel, right? Yeah, like, for sure. It, it and they're, so these classics are not necessarily like the most enjoyable things on the planet, reading the hunchback and Notre Dame, because you really like hellfire, right? Like does not prepare you for what that novel is. It's a much mm-hmm. more about like architectural conservatism in like an <laughs> aging Paris, right? Like, <laughs> And like whether or not they give a shit what the Flemish think today. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, 
but like they they passed the test of time for a reason mm-hmm. and it's helpful to try to be cognizant of what the reason is uh you should never just be like eh it sucked Mm-hmm. No, it objectively didn't. Society has come together and decided that the Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, uh, Moby Dick don't suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For and I resist. And honestly, like, and it wasn't just so much that it sucked, but I, I did have and I like a real resistance to reading Moby Dick for a super long time because I was like, eh, whatever, you know. I know this the plot, and it's such dude shit, you know. But it was so much more beautiful than I ever. God, it to be like the sentences they're just oh they're just candy like one after another they're amazing oh absolutely the problem is i from the exact opposite end which is so quintessentially me i'm so stubborn that i wouldn't read it because you're like call me ishmael and i'm like you you're not the fucking boss of me <laughs> <laughs> that was that. i was in a standoff with herman melville for like 20 years mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah that actually brings up something that i wanted to point out and it's kind of the origin and kind of my Cassus Belly in this episode, and that's that none of these things say, don't write your novel. They all say, write your novel by doing that, this. And the best way to write your best-selling novel is to write a novel, right? Write, uh, write something bad, get it reviewed, and go forward with it. Because the biggest thing that's undergirding all of this is you need to write good prose, right? Like, and writing good prose is one of the hardest fucking things a person can do, right? Like, and this is where the real writer's block come in. Because sometimes when you're writing, you're like, these sentences fucking rock. And you go back and you're like, oh my god, I was possessed by the Satan of commas. And all of these are the <laughs> same structure. And I use the same formula. And it's so fucking bad. Like, Chad, you're ha- this is something you're having trouble with right now, right? Where you're like, yeah. these sentences, where are they coming from? I hate them, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. I'm writing this too, right? Like, And we write like a lot, right? Like a lot, a lot. Well... You know what the weirdest phenomenon when you're writing is, by the way, is that, like, you can go into, like, a Discord channel and, like, fucking spit Shakespeare in response to somebody just out of sarcasm, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing it because you're like, I'm going to speak, like, verbosely and robustly with, you know, purple language. And then you sit down and you're writing, you're like, the dog saw the car. <laughs> yeah, right? and you're like, what the fuck? Why? Why can't I do on this page what I was doing in Discord? Yeah, you go up on Twitter and just like throw the blinding spears, like we supposedly Aztec god of war and thorns, and then you get in <laughs> a sentence where you have to write like the library menaced with books. Is that anything? So about like response, like call and response, and like what I do a lot in poetry is I like want I write a lot of poetry in response to other things or in the voice of a character that's in a book or something because I'm working with something like you're working in the Discord against another person or with another person or just like in dialogue and it's that act of like dialogue that you're gonna find in your own writing. So like I, if you're struggling with your novel, you should start with a story that's in response to another story, like Tracy or not Tracy K. Smith. Um. N.K. Jemison did the response to the Ursula Le Guin short story, the They Who Walk Away from Amila's, mm-hmm. and wrote this phenomenal like short story in response. And it was again like what she was angry about in that story populated and made her. And she she herself says, if, I think she has a master class too. I have not checked it out, but like she has said outside of her master class, like write the short story first and then try to get that published and then move on to the novel situation. Mm-hmm. But then again, I- it is. The fact that she has like multiple Hugo Award winning short stories and Hugo Award winning books is like, okay, maybe NK Jemison. Right? <laughs> so, 
you know, re- related related to that, um, and with a funny story on that. First of all, MJ is going to beat me up because I'm going to say a bad thing about Maya Angelou. Um, <laughs> she says you have to get a very quiet place inside yourself, and that doesn't mean that you can't have noise outside. I know some people who put jazz on loudly to write. I think each writer has her or his secret path to the muse. Okay, so that was probably very germane in an interview, but that's fucking meaningless to you on your. Yeah, it's direct, absolutely right? fucking just right? hot air. Yeah, yeah, that's the type <laughs> oh, of yeah. shit that like you you put up on Facebook hoping that you'll get three likes because you're neglecting actually writing. Yeah, right. Like motivational posters will not help you write. The of all of these quotes, the only two that I saw that actually mattered were by Anton Chekhov, who it turns out knows a thing or two, mm-hmm. says, "Don't <laughs> tell me the moon is shining. Show me the glint of light on broken glass." Now he's also. Uh, Russian, so I think he may be a little bit of a traitor. Uh, <laughs> and Stephen King's, if you don't have time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. Simple as that. Okay, mm-hmm. that's actually true, right? Mm-hmm. Go yeah. out and fucking read. And just like MJ was saying, like, call to responses, I I sit around, I, I've been reading all of these different books just to help inspire myself. And when I'm, like, really roadblocked, when I really can't think of what pros to do, I open these books, I look for inspiration, and I go, hey, Sean, do you think anybody would know that this line came from the Red Badge of Courage? Or am I That's a great, great, great white writer's deal. And we're always like, we're going back to Elliot, aren't we there, with the... the uh, the great writer steel line yeah is well, that that's what i was also gonna say when you were talking about like poets writers you need to read in other languages you need to read what the chinese are writing you need to read what the middle easterners are writing because they have very fluid copyright laws with us they'll <laughs> 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 never know everyone's in right now right? <laughs> you think anyone's out going out and buying books of russian poetry i don't fucking think so <laughs> the whole thing submit them even Woo! <laughs> in minecraft this is all parody don't do this we're not advising you to do this. <laughs> terms and conditions may apply but yeah so like uh, i don't know like uh sorry to be harping on you chad but like how long did it take you to re- uh read through like blood Meridian, right like oh that took a while it it actually reached the point in part because that book is really fucking exhausting oh yeah but right. like every time you'd like finish a chapter you'd like talk with me about it and be like brb writing like three short stories about it right yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty no like absolutely because like there was just something about it that was like osmosis in my brain yeah where i'm just all like i am a better writer for having witnessed this and i look and i go hmm i sure did write about judges killing people a lot yeah and like MJ will do the same thing too right like you'll well, think- this is how you learn to be like one of the it's it's the definition for me of active writing or active reading versus passive reading like i love to just like read and get sucked in and immersed and like totally in the story and i have to finish it right now and i cannot sleep until i reach the end of this ton of french novel because i need to know who did it um and i need to know why they fucking did it too uh but very much the opposite of that is like taking a, a chapter or taking a section and plotting it out like next to it like kind of doing a reverse outline or explaining what's happening in this this chapter or this paragraph or this section or this book or whatever like if you write as you read even if it's like at the beginning the very simplest like transposition of plot action or like setting or there are two paragraphs of setting and now we're into dialogue just even understanding it on that basic of a level to begin with you'll get better at annotations but this is how you actively read and this is how being directly influenced writing rather than just consuming 
Yeah, and this comes from uh, this showed up in your notes, right? Because like in the the while you're reading Melville, there's one that's like a gay question mark, and then like a few pages later, you're like gay exclamation point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, until it all finally synthesizes and goes equals not gay when on boat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, you understand how the navy works. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Happens on the Uh, boat. Stays on the boat. (laughs) Uh. I, amusingly, speaking of both uh, Herman Melville and Blood Meridian, I was watching this uh, YouTube lecture from Harvard, I think it was, a literature class about uh, about Blood Meridian, and it was like comparing it to Moby Dick, and and she's all like, the, the professor's like, well, like there were a lot of inspirations from Moby Dick, but done in like the Cormac McCarthy style, such as the part where they go and they meet, I think it's like a preacher or some religious person who warns them about death on the high seas and he and Pequod or, or not Pequod. Uh, yeah, yeah. Queequeg make fun of him for it. Uh, a very similar thing happens but with the Cormac McCarthy style, where uh, a Mennonite warns him not to go into Mexico because only doom happens there and they kill him. <laughs> I would also like to mention that uh, this all comes together because uh, in the uh, overall cause of our, this whole show, we remember the name Queequeg because it was the name of Scully's dog in X-Files. Uh <laughs> Which was eaten by an agalator, unfortunately. R.I.P. Queequeg. Queequeg. Oh, yes, he was but, so cute. You know what the only episode I remember from X-Files is? That one? That one's a really good episode. No, it's the fucking one where there's like this weird inbred mutant cannibal family. Oh, home! Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is the scariest one for sure. Yeah, I just turn on one and I'm like, let's have something about aliens that may or may not exist. What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> now I have an encyclopedic knowledge of like up to through season five of X-Files and then I dropped off after season five. Yeah. Uh, it, it was so weird to me because I tried to watch it, but I was watching with like my nouveau 21st century serialized brain. I was like, you know, I'm going to actually watch this start to finish. And and I have this idea of what fucking Mulder is in my brain, because we all have an idea of what Mulder is in my brain. Mm-hmm. You go back and you watch season one and he's like this weird dude that's just like kind of outgoing because he doesn't get to meet people very often. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> he's like sleeping on the plane. He's all like, Scully, you got to stop being so scared of crashing and shit. Like gets <laughs> off the plane with gusto. And then like you look over at the Mulder this. It's just all like, I'll take a gin and tonic in the location of my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 oh, I also remember something about him having to walk through bees with a little girl covered in gasoline. <laughs> and, and we're not sure if his mom is dead or alive. Like, we go back and forth on that one. Yeah. <laughs> X-Files is proof that you can do, if you just do shit hot sentences, everyone doesn't notice that you have an outline. Because literally, Mulder's mom went from alive to dead to alive again over the course of a few seasons. Not with like resurrection, just because they wrote that she was alive and dead. And they- so, would you say that X Files is a pantser written <laughs> in series? <laughs> no, not even right. Like all the people in the writers' room knew what they were doing, right? And they were like, "Oh, let's put the lore in. Let's do all this cool thing. Let's introduce monsters." And then Chris Carter would come in off like a three day weekend and be like, "All right, we're doing bees, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can open some talent, all right? That's a thing." And everyone's like too afraid to like make him look up something because they know that if they say like. Sir, you can't overdose on Tylenol, but like the amount that's in like one bottle, they'll be like the one task to go to a pharmacy asking what they can overdose on. And they know the pharmacist <laughs> won't fucking tell them that, right? Because <laughs> that's like the scariest question they've ever heard. <laughs> Excuse me, doctor. I know I can't OD on Tylenol, 
So, <laughs> so you're saying that the conversation is okay. Exactly how much Tylenol do I have to bite over this, uh, sir? Our sporting goods section is right over there. That'd be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Make your sentences good, right? None of these guys are going right. to say, make your sentences good uh, and work in smaller form. Don't write your novel. Do not write your novel, right? Do not write the first book of a 12-book series. Get working on a short story. Write a poem. Write a single scene, right? Like Write a formal poem before you decide that you would like to abandon all form and you know better and you're going to break the rules. Like That's the that's the equivalent of this with like novel, write short story. Poem, write haiku. Poem, write haiboon. Poem, write mm-hmm. like sonnet. Yeah. And when we say write haiku, we don't just mean the syllables, like use some seasonal words, refer to nature, right? Like don't do the, don't do the thing and uh, like Emerson, like orientalize it, right? But like, if you go to Maine in the, the autumn to see the leaves change, say Maine, Maine is a seasonal word to you. And that's the kind of evocative language that you need to build up in your poetry. And honestly, your prose, right? Because your sentences need to be shit hot. You might be thinking to yourself right now, well, YA has very comprehensible sentences. They don't need shit hot. Yes, they do, okay? The average <laughs> sentence in a Goosebumps book is a lot fucking hotter than you're going to be if you're Googling how write novel, right? You know, uh, John Irving actually addressed this very specifically and also diegetically in the novel A Widow for One Year, where the uh, the protagonist's father is this drunken, womanizing, self-loathing artist-slash-children's book author who gets an assistant. And one of the things he explains to his assistant is that I, on average, write no more than like 100 words per novel, which means – or per book – uh, and this all may seem simple, but it means that every single word is way more important than it is in a novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think that like R.L. Stein was like laboring over sentences, then eh, you're probably right. That new tech. No, I'm just kidding. No, R.L. <laughs> Stein was laboring over sentences. I mean, especially mm-hmm. having to hide behind the scholastic bookshelves and write one like as they request. It, yeah, right? like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, so yeah, we, that's the second cryptid of our canon, right? Like we're <laughs> scuttling around the vents, and then R.L. Stein behind the scholastic shelves, who's like, I want one where a popsicle, a kid sucking on it. Uh, and it turns out to be his eyeball, and then his eyeball gets knocked out next time he's playing baseball. <laughs> it's like, boom, there it is, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's why Scholastic Book Fairs use like those old 1930s cash registers, mm-hmm. so they could press those to hide the sound of the typewriter behind the walls. <laughs> yep. All right, I think we've covered our content pretty well. Yeah. All right, this has been On Writing. Uh, top 20 items that will not make your book publishable. Uh, I've Coming been... up at number four, don't start at the end. Don't, don't write a prologue. You don't need one. Uh, oh, my God. God. No. Seriously. Put the prologue down. Out. Seriously, no. you probably don't need a prologue. We no, should do no it prologue. in a prologue episode. Uh, Bad prologue. Uh, so I've been Sean. I've been Chad. And I've been MJ. Uh, we have the Discord link down in the description. And if whatever podcast service you were listening, if you could subscribe, rate, and review, especially if it is on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, that would be amazing. It uh, helps us get the word out and helps us uh, maybe even fundraise so uh, we could get enough money so that Chad could actually watch all of Neil Gaiman's masterclass on writing. Yeah. <laughs> or start a new host. workshop. Yeah, and then we'll have to get a new host because Chad will cut his tongue out and say, where we're going, we don't need words. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. All right. We have, with that image in mind, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.